Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, we're going to talk about something that's relevant for all of us. It is poop, the microbiome, which is one of the new hottest subjects in the health arena that's starting to show so much research and what we can actually do. Everything from depression to overweight to a lot of diseases. So I found one of the best experts in Denmark. She is uh, the founder of something called Gotzi, which is a company that do some of these tests. And she has a master in bioinformatics. It is, of course, Sophia Popo, I get in today. So, Sophia, thank you so much for, uh, for joining. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. So, just a little bit about your story and, and how do you get into the microbiome? What does that actually mean? I mentioned poop, but uh, what is all of this? Yeah, so I'm originally from London and I studied in Leeds. And uh, during these studies, I came across this book called Missing Microbes. And this was all kind of a couple years ago and I really, you know, my interest began there. And it was also particularly because during my teens, I would sort of have uh, some ear infections and some other things. So then I had to take antibiotics. And then when this all came around, I was very sort of intrigued about, okay, what happens if you're taking antibiotics? What effect does this have later on? Because if we have this whole community on microbiota, what does it actually mean in the long term? And so then when I moved to Denmark to complete my master's, and then I sort of, in the final year, I took a course on the microbiome and was still interested, and then I wanted to test it myself. And I ended up trying two of the sort of services that were available um, around this time, uh, you know, the Pioneers, Ubiome, and um, American Gut. And I was actually, I thought that there could be more practical value out of this because they only sort of gave you the sort of relative abundance. And I thought there was, there must be something else that you can take to kind of figure out, okay, what can you improve in your diet and lifestyle? And so this is where sort of gutsy came about because also there wasn't anything in Denmark where it was possible to do this. And I really wanted to see that happen. Cool. So microbiome, what does that mean? Like, yeah. What is that? So microbiome, usually it's microbiota and microbiome, but a lot of researchers, they sort of use it interchangeably. And we've also, because we found a lot of people, they kind of get uh, um, scared off by the words. They're not sure what it is. I think also because it's such an early field, there still needs to be more time. Uh, but microbiota is this community, and then the microbiome is the genetic material from these all these microorganisms that we have. And so this is, we sort of, we have different microbiomes, you know, in our skin, the gut, what we focus on, and of course, every sort of acid, like you have an oral microbiome, you have on the lungs. And so now it's a very exciting field where we're figuring out more about what's going on and there's so many different microbes and, you know, in comparison to the human cells and one thing that's really intriguing and a bit also, um, you know, confusing in a way is that there's so many that are unidentified. So we know that something's present, but we don't really know what they do. And that's what this sort of this world of microbiome science is really trying to unravel because, you know, you can have the name, but you don't know what they do, or you can just know that something's going on, but you don't have the specifics yet. So. And how is this useful for our life? 
Yeah, why has this suddenly become such a big subject? Like when you go to a health conference, anything else, you hear about microbiome. Yeah. Well, I think particularly if you consider how even, you know, decades and decades ago, um, you know, sort of more ancient, they were talking about how the gut is, you know, the pivot, the start of everything. And if you look at it also more holistically, um, it's very central. Um, if you're not digesting something properly, other parts of your body aren't functioning equally as well. And so really that's where we saw, so with the gut, it's very, it's key for everything. And, you know, if we consider also the genome evolution and everything DNA, the difference is, for instance, if you're just, you know, sequencing your DNA, you can kind of find these like SNPs or, you know, what your genetic uh, material is, but then you don't know, it's sort of only with epigenetics after years and years, it can have much of a direct impact. But with the microbiome, you know, research is shown it's very rapid um, you know, up to five days, like very, if you change your lifestyle quite dramatically, you see a difference. But this is also where it can get a bit um, uh, interesting and challenging in that, you know, so many parts of our lifestyle affects um, our composition. So, you know, the way we were born, these first three early years of life, you know, kind of stabilize and create the sort of foundation for what your uh, microbiome will become. And that's also what we're learning now, that it's not so bad that kids actually get some bacteria, right? Oh, yeah. I think that's one of the things with this sort of clean hypothesis that sort of, and that was combined with the antibiotics, like getting rid of everything, and then all these antibacterial sort of soaps and this, you're just sort of wiping it out. And now, you know, researchers are really kind of encouraging parents to sort of let your kids play with soil, let them, you know, have pets, um, because it will overall boost their immunity and support, you know, their health. So how, how do we use this? So there's a lot of diseases where microbiome tests are being used. Right now, there isn't a sort of a definition or a, you know, a, a complete sort of healthy microbiome. What we know is we have the correlations. So in a given state, so for instance, if someone is obese or if they're at a, a normal healthy weight, we can see what are the sort of general patterns. And the same goes for a lot of diseases. So right now it's really a game of associations, but what we believe is further on, we can really begin to start using it as treatment. So there's a lot more people trying to do these fecal microbiota transplants, people using uh, probiotics and other um, sort of um, other things like that, uh, sort of in a way to kind of boost the, the composition. So if you think like probiotics, this is the sort of live microorganisms that you ingest. And then prebiotics, these are the sort of the food for these probiotics. And so now you see a lot of new foods coming to market where they're kind of the main marketing message is sort of, okay, here we have, you know, probiotic bacteria in here, take this, take this. And I think that's where we see a lot of it going. Particularly, it's become much more the norm for if you're taking antibiotics to be at the pharmacy recommended now probiotics to balance it. Yeah. Of course, there's still research. And I think what people can sometimes find a bit, um, again, some uncertainty in the field is, for instance, there was a study where it showed, you know, some probiotics, they weren't having an effect on certain people when they're taking antibiotics. And that's why it's really important to know that we all have our own microbial signature. And it's if we kind of get these data points for ourselves, then we can track it over time. And that's also to consider, I mean, if we're so unique and all our lives are reflecting in our health, but of course there are certain standards that should um, have a positive impact, but we still have to take into consideration that there's, you know, these nuances that are very personal to us. Mm -hmm. And so when we look, so you mentioned prebiotics and probiotics. Probiotics, yeah. So if we just prebiotics, we can also get that from food. 
Yeah, exactly. So one of the main focuses we sort of have is we sort of encourage you to get it through foods. So if you think sort of Jerusalem artichokes, leeks, onions, garlic, they're sort of rich in these prebiotic fibers. And so if you sort of take that into your diet, you can sort of naturally boost. One of the issues we found is though for people who have digestive issues, such as irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, which affects almost a billion people worldwide, for them and other people with digestive issues, it can be more challenging. So for instance, for them, like a lot of them, they can be aggravated by onions and leeks. And then there it's kind of, sometimes there can be some sort of dysbiosis. So this is where there's an imbalance in the microbial community. And in this case, you know, then there's a different protocol for them. And it's sort of, that's why we're kind of working with them and seeing what's the sort of better way to go. Um, so again, it's, it's not a one size fits all. And that's why I think for a lot of people, you know, nutritional information can be very frustrating because it's, you know, you get a sort of cookie cutter, like just eat plants, eat this and you'll be fine. But it's actually, there's a lot more to it. But of course, at the end of the day, is it about simplicity and sort of just sort of listening to your body and seeing what works best? And then eating different things as well, right? Oh, yeah, diversity, yeah. yeah. I mean, the one thing, a lot of people, you know, they have their standard five or six meals that they repeat quite frequently. And I think from a microbial diversity perspective, that's it doesn't end up being the best. But of course, um, it still also depends. Like we've had people who, you know, they have their same meals, but because, for instance, you know, they had a very good childhood and upbringing, you know, this, the stability of their microbiota was well established. So then they will naturally have a higher diversity. But for some people, if they've kind of had like too much um, antibiotics previously or something, it's more of a journey to kind of get them to a higher state. Makes sense. Makes sense. But it's so interesting also when you said there's not like a one size fits all. With yeah. Food. So I heard somewhere that I ate a lot of kale and spinach. But if you don't have the right enzymes in your stomach, apparently it's not the best for you because it doesn't break it down. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? Or is that something you come across as well? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends. It's also a case of sort of um, like, for instance, with people with beans or, you know, that they say they will flare up. And then also with kale, because it's very cruciferous. It's like you need to chew a lot. And I think then it's also a case of a lot of people, you know, they eat quite quickly. They don't chew enough. And that's also sometimes why, you know, it can be aggravating or they're not getting enough of the benefits from it. But it's also, if that's also the case, sometimes it's better for people to sort of juice a kale or something and get that through. But it's more, yeah, it's just seeing what works in that way. Yeah. All right. So microbiome, how do we test it? How do we, Yeah. So basically, if we're taking the gut microbiome, so basically this is where you collect a stool sample. And we kind of, in our gutsy kits, we have with a stabilization solution. So then it kind of freezes the sample so that it's at that given point in time. And also when you're taking a stool test, it's, it's much better to take it at different parts of the, of the sample mm-hmm. for people to get a little graphic. So for people listening out there, you can really enjoy that. You can put these images in your head and imagine it. I actually had a microbiome test done as well. So I have uh, some autoimmune yeah. diseases. And uh, so I got that tested. So, and I so how was your, yeah. So that was that was an interesting experience. So you get this small kit, which is actually not that hard. It's something that you put in the toilet seat so that your poop can uh, nice and easily hit that. And then you have a little spoon and uh, a little cylinder that you put the, the poop down into. 
So uh, it's supposed to be uh, sitting on the, the toilet seat. Mine went down into the water. So I had the pleasure of pooping in my hand. <laughs> so uh, that was my first experience with the microbiome test. And then afterwards, I actually had my bike stolen when I got down to the street. Oh, really? Wow. And luckily had undo the insurance company. So oh. I got that. But it actually wasn't that bad. So you, uh, but were you skeptical <laughs> about it before or... No, so I heard there's so much science coming out that this is really good to look at. Yeah. And, and I was surprised the first time I heard that I had to like collect poop. I thought it would be really bad. Yeah. But learning more about it was actually a pretty easy process. Like yeah. the different things you got to do, it was super easy. And sending it, like you put it into this box, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and then you send it off. Yeah. Um, and I had a dysbiosis. So, oh, so uh, you found. Yeah. So, uh, so I got a lot of prebiotics and probiotics. Uh-huh. And then I had to take over six months and then I had to stop because oh. that, that meant that my stomach was supposed to be uh, kind of stabilized. And, and did you test again to check? Or? I haven't been tested yet, so I uh-huh. probably have to get tested with Garcia at some point yeah. to see uh, if we can find the same. But it, uh, it's pretty pain-free to actually do this. Yeah. Like, uh, if people are listening out there and thinking like, oh, this is so bad, don't worry, no one is looking. And it's, it's not yeah. that bad. No, I think it's um, like in the beginning when I started, that was whenever I shared the idea, people were like, oh, but it's poop. Like, yeah. oh my God, what is this? But actually, if you think it's kind of like one of the staples, like it's like blood, urine, stool, like yeah. it's kind of, and if you don't know what's kind of coming out, like that's one of the, you need to know how you're actually processing what you're taking in because that's, you know, one of the key markers, you know, that's why people get worried if there's blood in the stool mm-hmm. or something else, mucus, like you need to be very aware and I think it's just for sure in the future, there'll be more time where it could be more, you know, these sort of high tech toilets and it's instantaneous and you don't have to look at it or something. But at this point in time, it's a really great tool to have because one of the key things in, in other ways is, you know, it's really about preventing disease. And I think, you know, medicine for so long, it's been focused on sort of, okay, something happens and let's treat that symptom, but then you don't know. And if you just consider sort of cancer, how many mutations and processes had to happen for that to take place, but you haven't seen it before. But of course, it's not, you know, microbiome science isn't as a medical perspective right now. It's more for the curious and people who want to take a different approach and kind of have more of a, you know, first look and sort of really test it out for themselves and who really care about their health and are curious to find out. Because as the research continues to improve and improve, you know, if you have this data now, you can really use it later and see, okay, what happened like 10 years ago? How was my microbiome? Okay, how is it now? And then you can kind of have a sort of fresh take on it. Yeah. And you can also, if you don't do a test to start with, because the poop is really, or the facial. The proper English word. If you yeah, so it's feces, fecal matter. There's different ways, the, yeah. But in layman's word, uh, the poop uh, is really a window into your health. Yeah. So there's also this app called the Poop Tracker. Yeah. Where you can see that there's actually a different measurement for what kind of poop you have. So you so mean the Bristol stool scale? Exactly. Yeah, can you say exactly. say a few words about that? Yeah, so basically it's just like a standard scale where it's, uh, I believe, from one to seven. And sort of around four or five, this is kind of where you want your poop to be, like a nice sort of log. And then if you go either way, it either gets too liquidy or it gets too hard and you're constipated. And so I think for a lot of people who have IBS, they can kind of oscillate between sort of having, you know, constipation and then suddenly it's like almost diarrhea and then they go back. 
but you really want to kind of get your digestion into that middle ground. But that's why also it's kind of, it is kind of important to keep track and sort of see, okay, when I ate that yesterday, how was my stool the next day? Mm -hmm. And that's why something like that tool is a good way to kind of, or just, you know, jotting it down for yourself. And then you kind of have, and that's why also we do recommend, you know, when we, when people take a gutsy test, we ask them to complete a survey when they take the sample and then tell us, you know, what it was like. And we encourage them, particularly for reset, this program that we do like to keep sort of a journal throughout And then they can kind of, when they get their final comparative results, they have an idea, okay, how was it actually? Because people, you know, you end up being quite forgetful, like, oh, what did I eat yesterday? What happened with my stool? It's very easy to forget, so. Definitely. You mentioned IBS again. Can you say a few more words? Because you mentioned one billion people actually have it globally. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that they have it. They just don't. Yeah. They're not living an optimal life. Can you say a few more words on that? I mean, so for people, it's usually they kind of have a regular bowel habits, kind of be if it becomes more severe, then it's impacting their social life where they're kind of, you know, they have to miss a social event because they have to run to the toilet or, you know, it's a case where they're not going for a couple of days and then they feel kind of lethargic, you know, they're not in a good mood. And as you even said in your intro, you know, there's such a, this gut brain axis. So if you're kind of, if your digestion's not on track, you're not feeling happy and joyful and you're not really living, you know, your best experience. Um, but for people who have IBS, it's just kind of being aware. And that's why even if you suspected, like keeping a bit of a track of it, and then you can kind of see if you go to the doctor, usually they have these sort of criteria that they will classify you with. But the case with IBS right now is it's there's no like cause, there's no cure. So that's why we also kind of saw that a lot of people are suffering with this. Um, you know, the statistics for Denmark is like up to 16% of the population. And so for them, you know, we had so many people come to us and like, yeah, I went to the doctor and I didn't know what to do. They just told me either it's all in my head or, you know, just manage it yourself and Because unlike something like irritable bowel disease, where, you know, you see something actually, you know, in the test and here, there's nothing. If they do a colonoscopy, they can't see any mm. inflammation or something going on. And that's the key sort of differentiator. And because there's no sort of, um, you know, pills that they can take, you know, it's kind of quite difficult for, for them to manage. And also because it's usually at a milder state, right? So they don't want to give them some severe drug that, you know, would be given for something else. Yeah, yeah there are some pharmaceuticals out there, five years. Yeah, there's some, but uh, we heard like there was more abroad. I'm not really, there's some here that, but you have to kind of go through a, a lot of loops to get it because they don't uh, give it out regularly. Yeah, so most people, they, they're kind of just told to manage their lifestyle. And that's why we've been talking about like uh, Crohn's colitis, like the association, and they've also kind of said the issue with sort of this lifestyle management and people not knowing what to eat when they have IBS. Yeah, yeah. I know a startup called Simity, which I'm uh, super Oh, I haven't cool heard startup. of them. Oh, It's a British startup uh -huh. um, that I work with in Berlin. So they're doing... Um, They are doing where they help people track with everything from meditation uh, to uh, mindfulness to oh. yoga and uh, and eating. Oh, okay. So um, they're trying to like actually help people there because it's supposed to be more efficient than several of the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, I think tracking if you just keep it. The only thing is like with the apps, like you really got to make it into a habit because I think sometimes it can get tiring also tracking everything. But if you really, you know, if you can kind of get the pattern going then it becomes second nature yeah yeah so how do you, how can we use this knowledge like if someone have ibs 
what what would you recommend that they do? Like, how can they get help from a microbiomist? Yeah, so I mean, this is the sort of mystery you have inside where you've kind of have these symptoms and you don't really know what's going on. You've been to try and seek other professional help um, and you haven't found a solution. It's kind of, you know, usually you're just dropped off a different sort of nutritionist or different programs and you're trying it out. And the only kind of support you usually have is just sort of anecdotal or someone saying, you know, thinking they feel better, but you're not sure. And then a period of stress comes in. So with the testing, what we usually recommend is, you know, first, of course, seeing if there's doing your own research and seeing what you believe in, what you want to do. And if there's something you want to try with a dietary approach. You know, we have our snapshot. This is the one-time test where people just test and then they see what they've got and, and, you know, then they take it into their own hands. They get recommendations, supplements, everything. But what we found is people changing their habits and sticking to a program, it can be quite difficult. And so we developed this program, Reset and Dietary Intervention Program. And so here is where, you know, they do for four weeks, they change their diet. And at the start and end, they take a stool sample. So then their final report is actually, okay, what was the change that happened? So for instance, like we had an example with someone, acromantia mucifinia, which is quite a beneficial, like that increased, and other ones like lacnospira, pectinosa, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but yeah, <laughs> it like also um, increased. So like those kind of good gut boosters. And then sort of in this way, you kind of, we also have a nutritionist on board and she sort of suggests kind of what we think you could try as a, you know, as your intervention. Mm. But of course it's up to them. So if they kind of think, oh no, I want to try FODMAP. Oh no, I want to try plant-based. Oh no, I just want to take out gluten or take out dairy. This is a good way to kind of, you know, you have the accountability and the supportive space. Because then you know, okay, you don't really want to mess it up because you're going to get the second sample. And if you don't get it, you're not actually doing a proper science experiment on yourself. And I think that's really the key because that's also what I found. There wasn't anything else like there where you kind of like, because then you're, you're motivated. You're like, oh, I really want to know. Um, and then it's, it's only like, tw uh, you know, four weeks, 28 days. So it's not really a problem. Yeah. Cool. And what do we... So you have some people that are going through this program right now, right? Yeah, so right now we actually, yeah, so on Monday we had our second batch of resetters start. So yeah, we we're very excited and we kind of, you know, we've given them the initial suggestions and so now they're all along the way. So throughout the four weeks they get sort of uh, our microbiome digest. So we send them newsletters and kind of give them more educational information because we really think you know with the new research coming out in this whole space it's really about also you know educating yourself and not just relying like even if whatever I say or someone else says like you really you should do your own research and decide for yourself mm -hmm. and not just you know accept the opinion of someone who's kind of saying something and that's what I think is key And if people kind of do that, but we want to kind of create a community where then they can discuss between themselves and see what works. Um, yeah. Cool. And how do you know whether a lab is going to... Whether it's good. Yeah. So how do you know, like, you... So you're in Denmark right now, but someone, for example, in the US or the UK or somewhere else that wants to do a microbiome test, how do you figure out, like, a good provider? I think the key thing that you have to look for is that... Um, If you do the testing right, it's best to use it with the same lab if you want to compare your results. Because it's really, um, 
they all use their different mythology. And now, of course, you know, the Human Microbiome Project and all these initiatives, they want to create like a golden standard, like use all these kind of lab protocols. But that doesn't exist right now. So one thing is like, you know, someone tried a U-biome test and uh, from another company and the results, it was the same day, but it was completely different. But the thing is, that will be the case if they're using different primers and other things in their, you know, different machine or this. And that's why it's really important to have that sort of repeatability yourself. And otherwise, it's sort of looking what actually information you want to get out because different services, they focus on different things. So we're really like our reports are very different to that of someone else. And so it's seeing what you actually want to get out of it. But it's like then you have to kind of do your research into the the specific service because they all have a different goal. Mm -hmm. Like some are more about, you know, data collection and getting that. Well, for us, it's really we want to create a program. And that's why it's more about, you know, creating this intervention. So it's very different in that way. And where can people go to find more, like more information about all this microbiome testing and so on? If someone wants to go deeper into it, I know you're writing a really good blog. Yeah, so we have our blog and our website and we're very active on like Facebook. So we always share also their updates and we, we have also some videos on YouTube. But I think one thing we recently started is also this group on Facebook, Microbiome Friendly Foods, because we really saw that people really wanted the dietary nutritional information. And so here we kind of give them kind of um, suggestions, you know, how to increase lactobacillus through diet or bifida or what else. Um, and that's really where we see um, that it can be very practical because there's a lot of like, for instance, yesterday we posted something on diabetes. Um, you know, there's this new research that you can get a sort of microbial signature that can predict, you know, insulin resistance. But, uh, you know, this is if you don't have diabetes or something, it's very useful and to know, but it's not practical for your own life. And that's why it's like with the diet, then you really know, okay, if I'm eating ligonberries, this will happen. If I'm eating this, this will happen. And then you can kind of just do it. And then eventually maybe you want to see if it's having the effect you intended to. And what other places can people go and look for information about the microbiome? Well, I mean, the best place is like PubMed, you know, just if you want to go for pure research. I mean, but if you're not a, you know, a scientist, I want to, but that's where you get the core because otherwise a good way is also I like using like Google News and just kind of typing microbiome and then seeing what's up for the week because usually you'll see like a news round of like the key findings like a lot of the journalists now they really pick up on microbiome science otherwise there's also a blog I think it's called microbiota for gut health or something they also do a nice um, roundup but I think you know if you just going to the power of Google News seeing what's out there, um, then you find all the latest research quite quickly. So Awesome. But it's really hard to like follow up with all the new research coming up on yeah. the microbiome. That's why we try and distill it in our blog. Like we just kind of do these like pictures and then just a summary. Yeah. Because who wants to spend all the time reading it too much? Um, so yeah. Makes sense. So are there any foods that we can say that are in generally really good for the gut? Well of course the you know the prebiotic rich ones And like the ones and which ones could be so like I said before like the you know artichokes leeks onions but of course a lot of like berries um are very good and why of course berries why berries yeah well because um they just have a lot of phytonutrients minerals and then also I can't think of exactly which now the but so strawberries the is good 
Oh, you mean which of the berries? Yeah, no, no, all of them. So blueberries, blackberries, they're quite cancer protective, but also um, they have uh, like, if you, they're quite uh, low calorie as well. So then very abundant, but it's the main, it's the phytonutrients. And there's so many research showing, for instance, like blueberries, if you consume them, um, like a lot of these people who want to improve their memory. So like these memory champions, like they eat a lot of blueberries, like high amounts. So yeah. And what about bread? Bread. Which bread? <laughs> so white bread or white bread or? I think it depends on, that's very specific, right? I mean, there was new research where we're showing like different glycemic responses depending on the bread. I think if you're thinking usually a yeah, white process, like white flour isn't very good. I, I would say more like if you were looking into a longevity. So if you think like people like from Okinawa or something where they're kind of eating these purple sweet potatoes and different sweet potatoes, like that's really, you know, linked like a good uh, source of starches to kind of really boost. But I mean, with bread, it really depends on the person. I know there were there were like some Danish studies as well, looking into rye bread and stuff, and people can look that up. But it also depends what you want to focus your diet on. So makes sense. Makes sense. What's something that surprised you in this journey? In the whole journey? Well, I think um, in, in what particular way do you think like? So in regards to this microbiome stuff that you learned or stuff that you were surprised about how, how things were doing? I think one key difference was in the beginning, I sort of had this perception of, you know, what was a healthy diet. Of course, a lot of plants and that still no one says vegetables aren't healthy or something. But I think it was more if you've kind of lived a certain way and if your gut integrity is compromised in some sort of way, then it's a different kind of journey and approach you have to take. So it's not just, you know, Like, you know, usually it's just down more vegetables, down something else, like, and just get the good stuff. But it's actually, no, you have to restore your gut to a certain point. And so sometimes for people, it's more, you know, consuming more liquid foods and more kind of slowly, gently, like more cooked foods, steamed sort of vegetables, like slowly. And sometimes, you know, the raw fruits, vegetables, they can be aggravating. So it's more seeing that it's kind of, There's these nuances and you've got to see where the gut is at a given time and then uh, adjust and move from there. And what about the whole fermentation? Fermentation. That's supposed to be good for the gut. Is that well, true yeah. or not? Or? I think it depends. Like, of course, there's a lot of commercial products. We also do recommend for some people like, you know, sauerkraut, you know, different sort of there's kefir, kombucha, all of this. But I think it also depends... I think with some of these commercial products, like they have a lot of sugar and salt and that can sometimes negate some effects. Um, so I think it's also really good. Like for instance, Noma has a fermentation book and if you can make sort of ferment your own vegetables, that's like probably the best way to go because you don't know how much they've processed something and what's happened. But of course, for convenience, sometimes it's good. But uh, yeah, I know in like Sweden, there's more like sauerkraut kind of available in the local stores. Here there's like some certain ones, but not as much as in other places. So. But so fermented food is generally good if you make it yourself for the gut. Well, overall, mm. like I think it's still generally like you will get this beneficial boost and you're getting, you know, the, the bacteria. But it's still it depends on the person. So it's, you know, and what are they're kind of missing? Because you can also get it from just eating fresh foods as well. But generally, yeah, it is a good idea. But I don't think, again, one size fits all isn't like a thing. So, yeah. yeah. But so let's say, okay, I want to eat some healthy food. I'll try with some berries. I'll try and get some fermented food. But it's still hard. You still have this dysbiosis. 
How do you find good pre and uh, good prebiotics, probiotics? I mean probiotics, yeah. How, how do you find the good stuff? Like how do you know? Because there's so like same with supplements. There's a lot of supplements that's really crap if if the producer's not good. Yeah, I mean, like once you know a, a doctor told me as well. Like he was really if you're thinking of a, a probiotic and you know you have to open the jar usually you're you're like every time you open it you're just losing the bacteria. So usually you don't want it like that. It's best if it's actually kept in like a sachet or something. So it's like a one use and it's enclosed. So when you see those like kind of, well, there's actually um, VSL number three. That's one of the most potent and um, scientifically sort of documented. Like they come in refrigerated sachets and then you just use it one time and then you kind of mix it in water and you're good to go. Of course, some pills as well. But yeah, sometimes the ones where you're kind of opening and all the time, usually not the, the best, but I think it's also with probiotics, it's a case of kind of changing a bit because you're also get, your gut gets used to something. So it's good to also have more diversity and see kind of what works better. But I mean, every sort of um, company kind of has their campaign for why mm. theirs is the best. So you just have to do your own research. Yeah. Fair. And what do we know about depression and the microbiome now? Depression in the... There was a study that showed sort of two microbes were more diminished in the case i think we had it on our blog it's kind of not come to mind right now but basically there were two so there is some sort of um microbes that are you know if you they're depleted then there will be an effect and of course with the gut brain axis and you know they kind of say you know the the gut is the second brain and all this so there is definitely a connection but i think most people will kind of feel it like if you're kind of constipated you're not feeling good as i said mm. before so yeah so where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or Gutsy? Oh yeah, so just uh, go to gutsy.com and then of course our social media handles at Gutsy Health. So you can find if you just search, uh, you know, we're everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. So. And it's definitely a good channel. I can uh, vouch for that. I've been yeah. reading uh, several of the articles and liking all of the stuff. Oh. So any final advice, something that you already mentioned before? Any final about how to be the best version of yourself, whether that be for your microbiome or something else. I think definitely, um, you know, one thing that's very key is sort of uh, leafy greens. So if people really focus on those, I think that's like you can't go wrong with like leafy greens. It's like so full of so much good stuff, and it's good for the gut and everything. And I mean, one little hack that I also use is kind of like steaming. So like, for instance, with the kale and stuff you mentioned, like steaming kale or something and getting more in abundance of these plant-based foods and then kind of supporting your diet in other ways. But also just really also focusing a lot on mindfulness and stress because also with the depression, anxiety, but it's very much, and we saw with people with IBS, like a lot of the time, if they're in periods of stress, that will affect their gut health and their digestion. So it's really keeping that because I think if you don't have a mental game and that kind of first step, then anything else, even if you're just trying to intake more good stuff, it's not going to be processed in the same way because there's something going on mentally. So it's also having that belief like in, you know, in yourself and then like you can have the sort of the health that you want and envision and then, you know, your best life. Makes sense. That's also very much in line with Simity, that which is Josie and uh, Elena is doing. So, uh, I'll but, check them out. Yeah. Yeah. They just. I think they just came up with the app, so they've been mm. working on this for a while. But they're very much into uh, all this IBS. Yeah. Uh, and speaking very highly about doing uh, 
test as well to figure out how your microbiome is doing. Yeah. So it's great to see several forces out there making a difference. Yeah. No, I think it's really, and I'm glad there's there's more people kind of realizing this because then, then I think re- people really benefit from it in the long term because everything, you know, we all have our different sort of style and way of presenting information and, and people resonate with different things. Mm. And even if a lot of the time, you know, it's the same message like, oh, go meditate or something, but it, you, you like it a different way to hear it a different way. So, yeah. It's really, yeah. For sure. Well, Sophia, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.